We've uh, been talking about something important to us. It's very foundational. As a Christian, it's very, very, very foundational. Half the body of Christ misses it. Many people live for decades in the kingdom without knowing these truths. And so we've been spending ample time to build foundation so that we understand God better. Amen. We have to understand God or we'll live too far from him. If you don't understand God in the complex things concerning prayer and faith and and evil and suffering, if you don't understand God in some of these basics, you'll, you'll live a life that feels distant. He'll be a cold and distant God that you believe in, but he's not personal enough. And so you need to know enough about God so you get real, real, real close to him and understand him really, really well. The days of a mysterious God are over. When people say God works in mysterious ways. Just leave that person in the sci-fi movie. God does not uh, uh, work mysteriously anymore. Sure, there's some things about his ways being higher than our ways, but he has now, through the cross of Jesus Christ, made known to us the mystery of his will. Things in the Old Testament were very mysterious, very dark, no revelation, very little light, but since Jesus came, he said, I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. Now we can see, now the mystery's been revealed. It was hidden from ages and ages and ages. Now it's been revealed to the saints. So you and I need to know God. We need to know God very well. We need to know God New Testament way. You gotta come through the cross so you can know God right. You gotta come through the cross or you, you'll only, if you don't come through the cross properly in your theology and in your thinking, you'll only know one person of the Godhead. You'll only know God. You got to come through the New Testament to meet Jesus, the second person. And you got to go past the cross to meet the third person, the Holy Spirit. And if you don't come through the cross, you won't know God as Father. You'll only know God as Judge. He is Judge, but now He's Father, and that changes things. And so you've got to pass through the cross so that you can have victory that's in Christ Jesus. Lots of things have changed since the cross. Now we have victory. Now we overcome the world by faith. Now we recognize it's the world and the devil that's beating people up. And it's not God. Psalm 145, we've uh, read this many times, 145 verse 8, that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. Psalm 145 verse 8, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. That means whatever's happening in your life, if it doesn't have tender mercy on it, it wasn't from God. And so we've got to get this straight and stop bringing God in on things he had no part of. When something goes wrong, don't look up and say, God, why did you cause this? Why did you allow this? What does this mean? It means nothing. It means the devil is still alive. It means you still live in the world. That's all it means. The problem is people want God involved in their life, so they'll bring him in on evil. They'll bring him in on sickness. They'll bring him in on calamity. Well, God had a reason. You know, I want him involved in my life. Don't do that. It'll make you feel good for about a week and help you forget all your responsibility to learn, but it's wrong. 
and it'll taint your perception of God. And then the next time you try to go pray, you'll be confused. You'll be unsure if he's going to listen, unsure if he's going to answer. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Turn to the book of Psalm uh, chapter 91. Uh, so we got to break the mentality that God is somehow your troublemaker, your tester, your hardship creator. He's not. People go through things or some calamity happens and people say, well, that's the ch chastisement of God. Or, or we're trying to explain these things of faith and somebody says, that's the chastisement of God. Don't forget the chastisement. Of, well, uh, most of this stuff is not chastisement. We might talk about that later. Uh, oh, God's punishing. No, 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 it's not punishment. God's testing. No, 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 God's not testing. That's ju God's judgment. No, 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 no. You need to learn the truth about these matters so that you can recognize that just because something happened doesn't mean it was God's will. So in essence, this whole thing is, is a reflection or a uh, analysis of God's sovereignty and control versus human faith and responsibility. The reason that God is sovereign is so popular is because it does relieve humans of responsibility. If everything's up to God, I don't need to do much. If everything's up to God and it was all going to happen regardless, why even pray? What, what, what part does the Christian have if it's all up to God? If life is all up to God, what are we doing learning? Go play. Hurry. Get out of here and go play. No, life has a large, huge part to do with human responsibility. God's will is set, and it's one thing, but, but human cooperation is another thing. Amen. And you got to have them both if you're going to get God's will to come to pass in the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. God, I mean, God sent Jesus to save the world, didn't he? But he needed a woman to believe that he would. He needed Mary to say, let it be unto me according to your will. Because she had faith, Jesus was born. If she hadn't have believed God, he'd have to move on to the next one who may not be born for another 50 years. You have to wonder how come God took so long to bring Jesus? He was looking for somebody. What if, what if Abraham hadn't have left? What if he hadn't have believed God? We wouldn't have what we have today. There's all sorts of, I mean, you look through the Bible and God needed a human to hear him, believe him and obey him and trust him and endure until the promise came. So you can't just throw everything in the bucket of, well, God is sovereign. That's why it happened. Or that's why it didn't happen. He, he's in control. He knows what he's doing. I agree. He knows what he's doing, but he's not in total control of this world. How many of you believe that God's in total control of this world? Don't raise your hand. It sounds noble because we know he's omnipotent. We know he's omniscient. We know he's God. But the nature of a divine, omnipotent God does not mean he's micro-puppeting every move you make, nor every event in the earth. He's not the micro-puppet master of every detail. So you start reading the Bible, and it's like, oh, oh, I see that many reasons are because you obeyed, because you believed miracle, because you didn't know miracle, because you had faith because you had little faith, because you had no faith. These are all reasons why things happen or don't happen. <clears throat> faith people believe that God's word is the final authority. It's the uncompromising truth. So once you get 
to believe this Bible is literal, now you're starting, now, you, now we've started. That means if, the pro, if there's a promise in here, we take it literally. Faith people believe that it's important to know the will of God. Other people, even Christians sometimes think, well, who could know the mind of God? Who can know the will of God? Anybody that knows the Bible knows the will of God because the will of God is his word. The, the, the will of God doesn't have to be something fuzzy and blind to us. I'm just doing a little quick recap on what faith people believe so that you realize we have a lot of foundation here. Uh, that we're trying to answer all the tougher questions. Because once you realize, you know, I believe all this. So how come my prayer didn't get answered? Well, there's a reason for it. We got a series of about 21 reasons why prayers go unanswered. There's answers for some of this stuff. Not only is God's will important, but that my understanding and belief in his will is important. We're supposed to take these scriptures and promises literally Connect with the Holy Spirit of God and allow God to give us what he's promised. Without that, he can't give us what he's promised. An easy way to look at this is your salvation. How how many of you are saved? How many of you aren't sure? We want you to be saved, okay? Jesus said you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life today. So we want you to receive Jesus and be saved. But how did your salvation occur? Somebody told you that Jesus died for your sins, right? And then you had to what? Believe that? Yes, you had to believe that. And then you had to what? Receive that. You had to confess with your mouth to receive. That's called faith. You had to believe a truth, receive a truth, act on the truth, and have faith that God would do what he said. And then then guess what? You got saved. Right there, not everybody in the whole world saved just because God wants everybody saved. God said he's not willing that any should perish. That he, he's called all to be saved. He's called every human in the whole earth to be saved. But are all people saved? No, because what God wants to happen and what actually happens are sometimes two different things. So you have to learn of God's will, believe God's will, and receive God's will for yourself. Same thing with sickness and disease. He wants everybody healed. Every single, he wants every single person healed. So how come some people aren't healed? Maybe they don't know God's will. They didn't believe God's will. They didn't come in full assurance of faith for God's will. They didn't receive God's promise. There's a reason for it. And then there's lots of other reasons. But we know that God's word can be taken literally and should be taken literally. If he said you shall be saved when you call on the name of the Lord, then if you've called on the name of the Lord, you are saved. So you can have full assurance of faith in the literal promise of God, regardless of, of the wrong teaching that says, yeah, but you better watch out or you better watch out or if God, you might, if you do one more thing, God's going to get you. You can ignore that flappy preacher. Why? Because I know God's word. So you got to take the Bible literally. We live by covenant. Faith people live by covenant. That means that God made a a, a declaration of agreement with the human race, particularly his people, that he will never take back. He will never take back. God will never break one covenant promise. Not even to fulfill another covenant promise. 
For instance, God wants you to develop and mature as a Christian. He's promised that you would, if you would clean the house, you would be a vessel unto honor. He promised that Jesus was your sanctification. He's made covenant promise to grow you up in Christ and make you holy. But he will never break another covenant promise to cause that to happen. He'll never steal your job or put you in prison or make you sick in order for you to call upon him so you'll finally come closer. He wants you to draw near. He's promised he would if you would. But he'll never shove you into calamity so that you'll call upon him. He'll never break one covenant promise to fulfill another covenant promise. Because he's a covenant keeper. But people have done this way too long and they're still trying it. That you know, some, some terrible thing, well, God's testing me to see if God would never cause evil to test you. Some thug punches you in the mouth and then you go to church the next Sunday saying, I, I need to get closer to God. God had to, God had to, he's testing me. He's really testing me. No, don't you act like God calls somebody to sin so that you'd get holy. That's a, that doesn't make any common, it's not even commonsensical. Especially when you start bringing the Bible into it. Hate to bring the Bible into it. The blessings that come from God are by covenant and not by some fluctuating mood that he's in. And that's why he's not looking for your fancy prayer, your perfect words or anything like that. He needs your heart and he needs your mouth. That's why you can get blessed by just sometimes grunting in the name of Jesus. And that's where we start recognizing, faith people recognize the words of our mouth are important to what we receive in this earth. That life and death are in the power of the tongue. Jesus said so much about it. The Bible says so much about it. Jesus said, if you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. He said, whoever says to this sycamine tree, be plucked up. Obviously, plucking up trees and moving mountains weren't his point. His point was that our faith and our words can dictate change in the earth. Faith people believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit and fire is necessary. If God can get hold of your tongue through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire and, and cause you and help you utter tongues, if he can get control of your tongue, he can get control of your life. Some people's lives are so out of whack because their tongue is out of whack. And that's one of the benefits of being filled with power is that you begin to speak with tongues. You yield your tongue to the Spirit. Now we're getting somewhere. And so if he can start training you and developing you and praying in tongues, he can also stop your tongue from saying what it wanted to say yesterday. Faith people believe that the cross of Jesus Christ give us access to all deliverance and salvation. Spirit, soul, and body. The cross changed. The cross brought all salvation to us. Spirit, soul, and body. It also calls us to be freed from the curse of the law. We don't have to be cursed because of our disobedience. If you disobey today, you're not cursed tomorrow. No preacher has the right to put his pointy finger out and threaten you that if you sin, you better watch out because God, no preacher has the right to do that since Jesus Christ. Can't say it that way. Now, there's repercussion for sin. 
you stay in sin, you, you have a disobedient heart for, for a period of time and you run your space out to repent, there's going to be some contamination in your heart. Your faith will leak out. When your conscience begins to accuse you of sin and you, and you can't overcome that by the blood of Jesus and by forgiveness of sins, you've damaged yourself. There's repercussion for sin. But it's not that God's going to punish you tomorrow if you sin. Now, if you keep on sinning instead of God getting you tomorrow, it's the devil. So you got to understand where God is in this. God's in here. He's in here cheering you on. No, 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 don't, 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 no, no. He's hoping you don't, don't say it, don't say it. Oh, they said it. And then he's hoping that you'll recognize it. And then he's expecting that you'll come to him and say, hey, sorry about that, God. I, I blew it again. Forgive me. No problem. No problem. Just like a parent is hoping their kid gets it right. God's the same way. As a father, it's totally different than him waiting to zap people. Like the fly zapper. There'd be a bunch of Christians at the bottom if God was zapping. Praise the Lord. Faith people believe the kingdom of God governs all life. Faith people believe that the words we say are like seeds. They go into the ground, and if we'll be, be right with it and take care of those seeds and say the right thing and water that seed, it'll grow up and produce a miracle for us, a harvest for us, and that the kingdom of God is in us. And if we can understand that parable, we'll understand everything. That the words that we see, the, the words that we believe, the words that we hear, if we will say them, they will go into the invisible kingdom of our heart and get planted in our spirit. And if we'll keep the weeds out, and if we'll protect what we believe and begin to keep saying what we, what we believe, all of a sudden miracles will happen, and it will be largely because we did something. Not because God wanted it, he already wanted it, but because we cooperated with him. But because we believed him, but because we followed his principles of life and blessing. Hallelujah. So, once we go through all this, most of you already believe these things. Some of you need to learn these things. If you're new to the kingdom or new here at church, hey, there's a lot of learning you got to do. There's a lot to go through this. There's, there's hours of teaching that you're going to need. Uh, but once you start knowing all this, then the question is, well, what about so-and-so? They, they knew all these things and they still had a calamity happen to them. Or so-and-so believed all this and they still died. Well, there's answers for that too. There's answers for that too, and it has to do uh, something uh, that you're never going to know about. You can never look at somebody and decide what went wrong. Don't ever, and for that reason, don't ever let that thing that didn't happen stop you from getting to God yourself. Scripture says the secret things belong to the Lord, so let them be. But the things that are revealed belong to you, so... If it has to do with another person, and especially with what's in their heart and mind, well, I know what was in their heart. You have no idea what was in their heart. Well, I know what they believe. You have no idea what went on inside them. Because once you, if you walk with the Lord long enough, you recognize you've got some uncertainty in your heart about various things. There's various dreads inside every human. There's fears. There's uncertainty. There's lack of full assurance of faith in people about various things in life. Could be money, could be health, could be the future, could be children. I'm scared for this, I'm scared for that, I'm scared for this. And you try to drive it out, and you need to drive it out. And if you don't drive it out, you'll never get the miracle. And so this is where we look at God and say, but God, they were so good. They were, so, they were the best person in the whole wide world. How come, how come? 
It's because being the best person in the whole wide world is not the qualifier for miracles. We, we, we think it should be that the good gets the good and the bad gets the bad. But if that was the case, there wouldn't be any evil world leaders. He'd have just knocked them out. That's not, that's not God's condition for whether he's involved to bless or not. It's not about how good you are. So you can't use that. You can't you know, flop their, your goodness on the table. Okay, God, oh, I've been good lately. Now I need some. Well, God doesn't even show up to the table when you do that. Now you're trying to merit a blessing. You're trying to, you're trying to get paid. That's really all it means. You owe me, God. I've been good for whole three days in a row, God. God, God, I went to church last month. You follow me? So, and I know that's an exaggeration of how you are, but you're like that sometimes. Because you come to God feeling like, people come to God feeling like, I prayed enough. Or they come to God feeling like, I I haven't, I haven't really prayed enough, God. I haven't read my Bible. Oh, I didn't even go to church. How long has it been? But God, could you possibly... See, you've already messed up your prayer. You can't approach God with your merits or lack thereof. You approach him only on his promise. This is an element of faith. These are things of faith that a lot of people don't understand. And so, so they're always questioning God, always thinking God had a reason. Yeah, the reason is because you didn't follow any of the principles. You didn't go to the right spot. I'm out in this field and there's no grocery store. You went to the wrong place. You got to learn who God is and where he's at and how to reach him. And, and the only reason there's guidelines and principles and rules of faith is because it makes it special. Because you have to do this based on human personal relationship. That God loves me. That I'm approaching him based on that he's accepted me. When you can feel that and know that in your heart, he loves it. Matter of fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You come with all your other rigmarole about why you need a blessing, it doesn't even please him. Your faith can please him. All right, that was the introduction. Y'all are so slow. <clears throat> so let's go through uh, the reasons again. Let's go through the five reasons again, very, very uh, briefly, swiftly, as fast as you can listen. Here they are. First reason for bad things. First reason why bad things at all happen to anybody, Christians, non-Christians. First reason is because of the glitch, which means the sin-infected world. God created this whole earth to be the Garden of Eden. No calamity, no evil, no harm, no, no tears, no sorrow, no sadness, no suffering. He, that was his plan. That was his perfect will. Humans messed it up. And when Adam and Eve sinned, calamity came in, destruction came in, devil came in, all sorts of twisted weird things came in, and then God had to kick them out of the garden so that they didn't eat the tree of life and live forever in that state. Because he kicked them out, we have a second chance. But that's why the whole earth is pretty good most of the time. Like how many of you enjoy earth life? Go ahead, just raise your hand by faith. You enjoy earth life. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, lunchtime, you'll be happy. 
so it's pretty good. Life's pretty good. It's pretty exciting. There's some hope in there. Uh, it's pretty good until all of a sudden something goes wrong and it's like, oh my gosh, whoa, this life, whoa, this earth, oh, whoa, whoa. Uh, that's the main reason why bad things happen at all. It's the reason for accidents, calamities, sickness, disease. It's, it's because of the sin-infected world. Uh, is there any way around that? Is there any way to overcome that? Is there any secret to not having to uh, be affected by that tribulation? Thank you. Yes, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus overcame the world, and so can you. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. What does that mean? It means you need to have some faith in, in some of the resources God has given you to overcome this world. He's a resource. Holy Spirit is a resource. The Lord Jesus Christ is a resource. Jesus' name is a resource. Faith in a promise is a resource. The blood of Jesus is a resource. What Jesus did at the cross caused a huge resource. He put his foot on the devil's neck and said, all power is given unto me, now you go. So we have resources that allow us to overcome life's tribulation. You're going to have tribulation, but you can win every time. You can overcome every time. And so uh, Psalm 91 is a good place to start. How do you, how can you be exempt from things? Well, you know, you're not going to probably be exempt from everything, but technically you can be. So, but you got to learn Psalm 91. I mean, there's lots of other places, but Psalm 91 is a good one so that you can know some things about God so that he can answer what he said. If you don't know and believe Psalm 91, he can't do what he said he would do in Psalm 91. That's called faith. That's where we're at. That's where, what, what our job is, is to teach and preach and teach and preach and learn and learn and learn and learn so that we can finally believe and believe and believe and fully expect. So that we can have full assurance of faith that what God has promised he will also be able to perform. We know he can, but will he? Psalm 91, very simple. He who, who, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high. There is a qualifier. Psalm 91 does have qualifiers in it for who will get this blessing. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. That means God's shadow scares off all the evil. But you have to dwell in the secret place and you got to learn how to do that. And you got to be real sincere about this thing. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you take refuge. That's pretty safe. If this is in your heart, you're safe. His truth will be your shield and buckler. You better know the truth. And he'll be your shield and he'll be your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. Here's a good question for you. Are you ever scared at night? You don't have to be. If you get Psalm 91 in your heart, know that God's with you, know that he's protecting you, know, that, know the rest of the chapter we're about to read. You don't ever have to be afraid at night. And if you recognize as a Christian that you're afraid at night, you better run to the altar. You better come up here and get prayed for. You better come up here and get some help. You better go to the Bible and start reading it every day until you're not afraid anymore because that's one of the benefits of being with God. You don't have to be afraid at night or the day. Because if you're afraid at night, I can't promise what's going to happen at night. 
I'm not here to tell you that nothing bad ever going to happen at night. But if you can get the fear out of your heart, you'll have some help from God. Nor for the arrow that flies by day or the bullets that fly around Houston in the day. You don't have to be afraid of bullets. You need this in your heart so deeply that you're unafraid of any evil. I grew up in uh, Aleaf, Houston. And at some point it, it got uh, uh, a little dark there and uh, 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 bullets started flying. And so after I came to the kingdom, occasionally we would hear bullets, we'd hear, we'd hear, we'd hear gun, gunshots in the neighborhood and it didn't, didn't matter to me. You know, people are like, oh, it's, just, it's not going to hit me. It's okay. Don't worry. What if they come over? Don't worry. Don't worry. There's only one reason for that. It's just because I knew something about God and I was very unafraid. Not belligerent, not ridiculous, not testing and tempting God, but just knowing the promise. I don't have to be afraid of things. Nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness. Don't be afraid of viruses. Don't ever be afraid of viruses. Don't be afraid of the next virus. Don't you dare be afraid of the next virus. Don't, don't even consider being afraid of the next virus, even though stuff happened in the last one. Don't you dare be afraid of the next virus. Don't you dare. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. you got to know this. You got to know it so deep. You got to know it so well. You got to fight with these truths. If something did touch you, if something did come into your home, if there was a prowler that snuck in, you got to use these truths to make it go. You got to fight with these truths. These are not just auto exempt promises. You have to use these. Like if an arrow did stick you, you have to pull it out by faith. You have to say, no arrow shall touch me out. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Skip to verse 10. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. He'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you recognize there's angels that keep you safe? You got to know this ahead of time. And all the time I just put a little bumper sticker, I heart angels. I, I believe in angels. You got, I'm not talking about just little surface belief. You know, your front porch has a little fat baby with wings on it. We believe in angels. That's our guardian angel. If you think that's your guardian angel, it ain't going to work. You have misplaced your faith onto something that means nothing. Fat babies with wings, especially cement ones, don't do anything for you. The only thing a fat cement with babies, a baby will do for, with wings will do for you is allow demons to come sit on it and play games with you. That's worship of angels. That's ridiculous. But they're so cute. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> they're, they're really, I've, I've preached this for years. There should be a, uh, there should be a whole lot of hammers uh, crushing your yard, yard ornaments by now. I mean, just go home, just crush those ridiculous looking objects. They're not scriptural. There's no such a thing as a baby with fat wings being called an angel. I mean, if you like babies with wings, call them babies with wings. Don't call them... Angels. Angels in the Bible are 
always men, big, huge, would scare the devil. They wouldn't get a pet from the devil. Look at the cute little baby, his little belly. This is misplaced faith on superstitious Christianity where we're just playing little surface games rather than getting truth in our heart. You get truth in your heart, it will offend you when somebody says that's an angel. I think the devil has perverted images and stuff like that. The devil has done that. That should offend you. I know, I know half of you out there because I've heard, I've heard comments from church members through the years. Well, I'm still going to keep my, my Cupid out there. Fine, fine, fine. Keep your Cupid. <clears throat> Okay, let's move to the next one. Uh, second reason for why bad things. So you got to get stuff in your heart if you're going to partake, okay? So that you can be safe from the world's evil and suffering and calamity, but it's going to take some real faith work. Some faith to put it in your heart. Some faith to pull out your sword when you need to. Some, some faith to, to, be, to be led by God so that you can avoid, so you can overcome. When you say, God, what do I do? You need to know how to hear from God. You need to know what scriptures to turn to in times of crisis. Or you need... Etc. Etc. So there's faith work to be done if you're going to avoid just the the, the uh, default reason for bad things, which is the sin-infected world. Second reason for bad things is lack of knowledge. We've been through that extensively. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. People go into captivity. God's people go into captivity for lack of knowledge, not because God wanted them to, but because of lack of knowledge. Psalm 23, people quote that, you know, just from memory as a child. It's the end of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know. And then at the end, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my, my life. But if you don't know how to get God's goodness and mercy to follow you, and if you don't believe that truth fully, then you're not going to experience much goodness, not much mercy. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Did you know that Matthew chapter 15 says that healing and deliverance is the children's bread? Remember that scripture? I'm not going to go through the whole passage. Jesus called healing and deliverance that he brings the children's bread. Why would he use that term? You got to ask the question, why? Well, just think about it just for a half second. Children get to eat. No parent withholds food from any child for any reason ever. And if you do, you're in trouble. That is not how you discipline, train any child. You never withhold food. God would never withhold healing from his people, ever. So if healing is withheld, it's not from God. There's some other thing hindering healing or deliverance. It's not God. He would never withhold healing and deliverance from his children that come. Children get to eat. The good children at the table get to eat. The bad children at the table get to eat. The child who just got in trouble during the day gets to come in and eat. And they usually get dessert too. I mean, no, no dessert for you, okay, after they eat their meal, fine. But most kids uh, get to eat whether they're good or bad. Most kids get Christmas presents whether they're good or bad. So the little song is wrong. 
It's just the way a father is, a way a parent is. Make sure that the kids get blessed. They all get blessed. Some are better than others, but they all get blessed. You got to understand these things about God because he's a father and it changes everything. Third reason why bad things happen at all is because of the devil. You know that, I know that. Uh, but you and I know that the devil does more in this life than just tempt you to sin. Amen. Half the Christian church knows that he tempts people to sin. But do you know that he's the causer of sickness and disease? Right. Come on. <clears throat> he's a liar. He's the father of it. And what he does mostly is try to scare us with thoughts or situations or reports or temptations. He's a, he tries to scare us into not believing God's word. So the devil brings a scare. What are you going to do? Oh my gosh. You're going to have to grow up out of that. A faith person who's learned these things. A faith person feels the threat or the scare and knows what to do. Oh, no, no, uh-uh, 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 I got scripture. Uh-uh, out, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no. Whether it's tempting you to sin, whether it's tempting you to get sick, whether it's tempting you to take a financial crisis, you have to have an answer. Jesus was tempted to give up, but he had an answer from God's word. It is written. Jesus had answers for the devil with scripture. You need answers. And it'll cause you to have confidence and boldness and never be afraid of the devil. The Bible says a righteous man's heart is fixed. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. And when a faith person has built themselves up in trusting God so firmly, so close to God in all these matters that we know the answer. It'll be all right. Listen, it'll be all right. Bad news comes, and the first word from a faith person, don't be afraid. Nobody be afraid. Nobody be afraid. Don't be afraid. I got a better answer. Hallelujah. Go to Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> Acts chapter 19. This is uh, Paul doing the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus... Or it says the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. One of the main reasons Jesus came, it says the reason he was manifested is to destroy the works of the devil. So if you just watch what Jesus was doing, he was healing all these sick people, casting demons out of everybody, doing good to everybody because he was destroying the devil's works. None of those works are from God. Sickness, disease, and calamity never from God. Amen. Uh, so Paul's doing the ministry of Jesus, and it says, verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And then some of the itinerant J Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
And there were seven sons of Sceva there, a Jewish chief priest who did so. So they weren't believers in Christ. They were just trying to do the works without the Lord. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Listen, you, you want to be a devil caster outer. You do. So if, you, if we read this and you're like, oh my gosh, you don't know enough. If you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. You don't know what we know. You don't know enough yet. You, you don't, you're not close enough to these wonderful truths because Jesus said we would in his name cast out demons. But the devil knew that they didn't know who they were. The devil didn't even know who they were. Who are you? The devil knows in the spirit who's a believer and who's not. The devil knows who has faith and who doesn't. The devil knows who's filled with the Holy Ghost and, and who, who does, who's not. The devil knows things. So he knows who to obey and who not to obey. And if you're not in Christ and you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, he's not going to have to obey you. But the bigger question is, do you know who you are? Do you know that you're in Christ and have his name and have his authority and are filled with the Holy Spirit and fire so that you can fry devils? But listen, you need an attitude. When, when, you, when you understand faith, you'll have an attitude against evil rather than a cowering. Well, we, we don't know. We don't know why God, we don't know why God would allow this, but, but we, you know, I guess there's a reason that everything happens. For, I just believe everything happens for a reason. So I'm sure that, I'm sure that, oh no, no. When you learn the Bible, you won't act like that. Sure. He'll turn things around. He'll, he'll fix things. He'll, he'll make some good come of it, but don't act wimpy. How many wimps do we have in here? Fourth reason why bad things happen at all is because uh, of the choice system. You know, you, you know what to do and not to do. Uh, even if you don't know the Bible, you know what to do and not to do. Most people do. There's a sense of knowing in your heart about what to do and not to do. Not always, but many times. So the choice system, we say the law of sin and death. You play too close to evil, you're going to get burned. I remember I was, one time I took a, one of the church kids, uh, not, not from here, but my prior church, I took him to the uh, park. They had this, uh, or he was playing baseball. I went to go watch a baseball game. And afterwards, his family was going home, but he wanted to go to the little carnival next door. I said, I'll take him. I'll, I'll bring him home after. And so we went to the little carnival. We're walking around the carnival, and he, fi- he finds a bouncy house. And he goes, I want to go to the bouncy house. You know, he's like eight. I want to go to the bouncy house. And I, I said, okay, let's go over there. So we went over there, and we looked in, and there's a bunch of big teenagers in there. Big kids, you know, they're bouncing around. They're all over the place. I say, you can't go in there, man. They're, they're too big. They'll hurt you. He goes, oh, no, no, I want to go. I want to go. I said, you can't go in right now. They're, they're too big. <clears throat> no, 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 I want to go. I want to go. He, just, he was throwing a fit. And what do you do when your child throws a fit? Well, you give in. <laughs> wait, let me, wait, let me rephrase. When somebody else's child is throwing a fit, what do you do? You give in. <laughs> he had the right chaperone. Okay. I'm a, little, I'm a little adventuresome anyway. So, so I'm like, okay, listen, listen. All right, if you can go in there, but I want you to go all the way around the edge to the back corner where nobody is. Okay, and I want you to stay over there and you bounce around by yourself over there. Don't get next to the big kids. 
so excited. He takes his shoes off, goes to the corner, and he's in there, and I'm watching him, and he's bouncing, and he's bouncing, and he's getting a little too close to the big kids, a little bit too close to the big kids. I'm like, oh, I'm rooting for him. (laughs) Corner, corner, corner. Oh, boom, bopped. Here he comes, crying. Comes out of the bouncy house, still crying. He got bopped. That's how God feels with us. God's not causing your calamity. He doesn't have a reason for your calamity. A lot of times it's because you were dead set on doing what you were going to do and you got bopped by the world or the devil or something that just didn't go perfectly because you were out of the will of God. You know, he expressed it. A lot of times God will express his will to you and you know in your spirit. And then next week you call him on it again and ask him again. And then next week you ask him again. And finally he's like, okay, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You're going to do it anyway. Just go ahead. People say, oh, God told me I should. No, not really. He just gave in finally because you were hard-headed. We see it all the time, and it's very dangerous for you. Just because it feels like you now have permission doesn't mean you really have permission. How many times have you done that with one of your kids? You don't really want them to do what they were about to do, but you finally, finally say, okay, fine. No, not if it's life-threatening. You know what I mean. Can I go play in the freeway? Fine, fine, go ahead. So stubborn human will is the reason for lots of bad things in the earth. All crime, stubborn human will, choices to be evil, choice to do something wrong. Others cause problems for us. Uh, Others can be uh, stubbornness of neglect, neglecting to learn the Bible before you're 40. You're going to have some problems. Neglecting to get knowledge of God from church twice a week early is going to put you at risk. As parents, not learning this for yourself so that you can model it for your children, your children are at risk, way more at risk. Well, you know, one day when we're not so busy, we'll start going to, you can't live like that. There's a reason why this stuff's happening. Why, Why would God let, oh, my child, God, why would you let this? It wasn't God. It was your neglect. There was, God was reaching out all these years wanting to help and wanting to prepare you for calamity. He, he knows what's coming. He's trying to prepare us so that he can guard us, so he can save us, so he can rescue us. So we understand some things of how to get prayer answered. So we understand how powerful the blood of Jesus is to protect us and know how to voice it at the right time. All these things are important for us. You can't just live a life oblivious to God except for one hour a week. Praise the Lord. And then you, I do have to give a disclaimer because you start talking like this uh, and people, are, they, they put themselves under personal guilt trips. Well, yeah, it's my fault. It's my fault, God. If I, if I hadn't encouraged my child to go to college, they wouldn't have met so-and-so and they wouldn't be going through all these troubles. Don't. That's ridiculous, right? Well, if I hadn't invited my mom over to bring me a Chick-fil-A sandwich, then I wouldn't have the, she wouldn't have had the car crash and she'd still be her car, blah, 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 blah. Look, that's ridiculous logic. You need a stronger constitution than to take false guilt trips. There, there's, you, you can't take the blame for stuff that you, you know deep down it's not your fault. So don't play games with God or yourself 
People have hurt themselves with it, feeling guilty for decades because they thought, well, if I had done this, then such and such wouldn't have stopped that. That's just immature. Uh, the Bible says you need self-control. You need to control your brain from taking you down roads of stupidity like that. You, didn't, you couldn't stop all the evil. You got to remember life is dangerous. It is. It's dangerous out there. There's trials everywhere out there. Unless you live in some kind of frozen chamber. Wait, they hadn't made those yet, have they? You can't, live, you can't live in a frozen chamber and then come out 50 years, 500 years later. Ha, huh, here I am. You're going to be impacted by trials and tribulation. You need to know how to handle them, how to overcome them, how to go around, how to go through, how to reverse. Amen. Or you're going to have to deal with all sorts of questions that you or other people have. I was in Uganda one time. Uh, first time I went to Uganda, I think was oh, was oh something, nine, I think. And uh, we were going to preach this pastor, two pastors conferences. So we showed up in Uganda and uh, at the airport, we got picked up by the bus, you know, a little, little van bus and uh, got in the bus. And the first thing that, that our host says to us is, Hey, did you uh, hear about what's happened up here? I just want you to know that uh, in the North part of where we're going, there's been a terrible drought for 11 months and uh, they've lost two crops. They've uh, 12 people or 11 people have died. They've lost all their bull, all their cows, and the government came and took their bulls so they can't plow their ground. Just terrible calamity, all right? So we hear this, and my first thought is, hmm, I'm going to have to fix it for them. Because, you know, in the Bible, Elijah was a man just like us, and he, he stopped the rain, then he started the rain, so you got to, you know, as a preacher, I've been preparing myself for stuff like this for a long time. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to do something. <laughs> we drive, we're a five-hour drive to the first place. <clears throat> we stop and pick somebody else up. They get in the van, first thing they say, did y'all did hear about the famine and the drought up there? 11 months, same story. Uh, 12 people have died, lost all their cows, two crops. Yeah, yeah, we've heard, we've heard. I'm thinking, okay, all right, all right. I got to get ready for this. I'm going to have to do something. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I was going to have to do something. Then we picked a third person up about an hour out. Same thing. They got in, told us the same sad story. Then we got into the town and picked the final preacher up. He gets in, tells us the same. Have y'all heard what's been happening up here? It's been so terrible. We've lost two crops. All the cows are gone, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Twelve people have died. And so we're at, the, we're at the convention. It's about 300 ministers uh, or 400, three, 400 ministers. And uh, so I was the second preacher and I get up and my, the first words out of my mouth, I had a message planned on the kingdom of God and our words and uh, planting seed. And, you know, the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed into the ground and he doesn't know how, but, you know, a miracle, it sprouts and then, then a miracle. Okay, so that was gonna be my message, but I get up and the first thing out of my mouth was, hey, everybody, we can make it rain. <laughs> and... And they didn't laugh like you. Matter of fact, it was as quiet as it's ever been in church in my life. I said it again. Listen, we can make it rain. Still just as quiet as before. So I started preaching. 
And I started preaching. I started teaching. I started preaching. I started teaching. And within 40 minutes, 45 minutes, they were convinced. And I had them stand up and they were, they were, I mean, you could see it in their eyes. I said, we're going to make it rain. I said, but we're not going to pray for rain. I said, you don't need prayer. Prayer won't work. I said, I'll prove it to you. How many of you have prayed this year for rain? All the hands up. God didn't give you rain from your prayer, did he? I said, we're going to apply just what we've learned here. We're going to command the rain. You're going to put your mouth on it. And you're going to expect God to answer you right now. So I led them into confession. I said, matter of fact, I'm not going to pray for you. You're going to start saying something. You're going to do this. So that was my, my big secret was, I'm not going to do this. This is your land. You do it. And so I just led them in a confession and a declaration about the, the clouds will come and they will give the rain and nobody dies and no more loss of crop. And we just commanded the thing to take place. It was exciting, man. It was the loudest meeting I've ever been in, I think. I mean, they were, sh they were shouting and shaking and spitting at the top of their lungs because they were desperate. That night, it rained. First time in 11 months, it rained. And it rained, it rained all over the place except on the, the, the church grounds. It wasn't a church. It was a, some sort of a place. I don't know. It rained everywhere but like the, the actual ground. So we get in the, next, the first meeting of that morning and the, the announcer, the host, you know, it's all translated. And he says, well, yesterday we prayed for rain and God gave us rain. So I get the microphone. I'm like, we did not pray for rain. Which, look, technically you can call it prayer. Technically you can pray. Technically, sure, ask God and he will, ask God in faith and he will do it for you. But, but we all need to learn how powerful our words are, how we can command mountains and sycamine trees and clouds and rain. There's times to use authority, not just pray feebly. That's the main lesson. And so we went through the second day and that the second night, it poured down rain everywhere, poured down rain everywhere. So badly, we were out in the van going to another town. We thought we were going to get stuck in the mudslides. So we get to the, the third morning now, or second, whatever, second, third day, we get there and, and the announcer says, uh, let's pray that it doesn't rain anymore because it's going to flood. And I get the microphone. I'm not praying for it to stop raining. If you want it to stop raining, you do it. That was mine. Well, what is happening here? Well, humans have a, a part to play. Where you live, you have a part to play in that. You have some authority in that place. The, the only sad part about the story was that the final day they were given, you know, uh, honor to everybody and thanking God for the meeting and, and thanking everybody for coming. And they said, and, and praise God, the Americans came and God gave us rain. So that's the sad part. You see how misplaced faith? They're going to attribute this to Americans? 
You're going to attribute this to something other than principles from God's word? See, this is because, people do that because they don't understand how these things work. And so they try to formulate what, what really happened here. Well, it looks like the Americans came and God loves them. And I was just heartbroken. But I got to move on to the next city, so what do you do? <clears throat> but in that same minister's meeting, we had a Q&A time, a question-answer time after my session. And one of the questions, it was on probably the oldest gentleman in there, minister. He stands up and he says, can you tell us why we've had such hard toil here in Uganda all of our life? He said, is it because of the sins of our forefathers? Is that a reason for bad things? Generational curse? Is that a reason why they had this drought? The answer is no. And so I had to relieve him of that. Oh, no, 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 no. If you're saved, then you're redeemed from the curse of the law. You're not paying for the sins of your forefathers. Jesus ended that. Amen. Now God looks at every individual alone. Sure, the heathen in your family, you know, they caused a direction for you. But that's not why you're experiencing. If you're saved and in Christ, you're not experiencing that if you have some faith. You got to get saved. If you think you're, you're paying for sins of your forefathers, get saved. And if you're saved, then learn the name of Jesus and take your stand and say, I am redeemed from that curse that they lived with. But this is where a misunderstanding of God causes Christians to not get their prayer answered. How can you pray effectively, God, in Jesus' name, answer our prayer and give us rain if you're thinking in the back of your mind, but my, my, my grandpa, he was a real heathen. You see how this contradicts? You got you to flush out these wrong thoughts about God so you can trust him right. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Final reason for bad things is that people ignore the voice of God. People ignore the voice of God. People ignore the voice of God. And this, this opens up the door for about three hours of teaching at least so that you can understand how to hear from God. Because you need to learn how to hear from God. Because hearing from God does not mean I prayed, I looked up in the sky, I saw clouds, I looked like angels, I knew God said yes. No, no, that's a person who doesn't know God. People that do know God do not look up in the sky for clouds or billboards or bumper stickers to find messages. That's superstitious Christianity. You're not allowed to do that. But that one time, one, okay, fine, we'll let you have that one time, but that's not how we live. You got to learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, uh, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, you got to be led by the Spirit of God, not by colors or numbers. I was praying, I opened my eyes, there's a number seven, bingo. No, it doesn't work that way. Led by the Spirit of God is different. Where's the Holy Spirit? He's in here, He's in my spirit. Uh, Proverbs 20, 27 says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. What does that mean? That means if God wants to light my way, he's going to flick the candle on and that's my spirit. The spirit of man is the candle. He's going to light my spirit, not my brain. 
So there's some instruction here you need to understand that the way God wants to speak to you and lead you is in your spirit, not your brain. The way that God wants to lead you and speak to you is not in your brain, it's in your spirit. You got to learn what that feels like. You got to learn that when when he's saying no, because your brain is saying yes, when he's saying no, it feels like a little scratch. You ever felt the scratch? It's not real real strong. It's just a little scratch. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. But I want to do it so badly. It's a little scratch. When he wants it to, when it's right, when it's in the will of God, there's this smoothness. Smoothness in here. Belly rub. Little belly rub. God, how about this? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a peace, peace, smoothness, easiness. Different than a little scratch, a little, ooh, a little uneasy. Ugh. I know I want to, man. My flesh wants to, my mind wants to, but I just feel like, oh, there's just something kind of stopping me. Now, a lot of people override that. You can override that. He'll let you override it. He's never going to force you because if he forced you, he's taken away your free choice and he's taken away his delight in you hearing from him and obeying him and believing him. Does that make sense? So you got to learn how the Holy Spirit leads and trust him. Uh, and not just be belligerent about everything that's going on. You've heard my story. I'll tell you my lip story real fast. In my 20s, I started deciding I was going to get in shape a little bit. I was going to start playing some basketball and running with the young kids. <laughs> now the 20s are young kids. But anyway, I guess I was 28 or 29. And so <clears throat> running with the, when I was playing with some preachers, and we would, we would show up at the YMCA or somewhere, and we'd, pray, we'd play and just join up with teams and uh, you know, I was getting my shot back and doing pretty good. So I went to the neighborhood uh, court to practice one day. And as I was doing that, I looked inside the gym and there was a, a game going on. I'm like, ah, I'll go in there. So I went in there and joined up with the next team. And uh, so I, we got in there and, and, and our team won. And, and I, was, I played pretty well. And, and, and we, so if you win, you keep the court. So I played again. We, we won again. And I'm like, wow, I was going, man, I was shooting good. I was getting, you know, high fives and all kinds of stuff. And uh, third game. We won again. I'm like, man, this is great. And then it was a Saturday, and I thought in my, in my heart, I thought, you know, it just felt like, uh, it just felt done. It felt like I was done, right? I just felt like, I don't even know the time necessarily, but it was like, it was done. But my team was winning. You got to keep the cord. You can't just ditch the team. So I thought to myself, one more game, one more game. The very first play, very first play of the fourth game, the biggest guy on the court ran at me like this and hit me in the mouth, knocked me down. Mouth didn't bleed because all the blood stayed in my lip. And I stood up and the expression on the guy's faces told the whole story. They're like, and it felt like I had two noses on my face. My lip puffed up so, so far out. And, and, I, and instantly, I knew what had happened. Instantly, I thought, oh, my gosh. God tried to tell me that it was over. I said, I got to go home. <laughs> but I was one play too late. I was one play too late because I didn't follow what I knew in my spirit. 
I had that little tug, that little scratch, that little uncertainty, little uneasiness. That's all you get sometimes. And you got to be wise enough and sensitive enough to obey that instead of your brain and the people around you. And my, well, well, what would they think if I didn't go, if I didn't show up, if I didn't this? I've already told them I was coming, so I must go. Not if you feel this. And so I had to go. I was that Sunday, I was, uh, had to go preach in two churches, one in Lamarck and one in Laporte, Texas. And I had to preach to people with two noses on my face. <laughs> Just embarrassed, just embarrassed. You know, my tongue would stick out, was stuck out of my mouth, spit would go on everywhere. How can you pay attention if I had two, a big old fat lip? And this, this was like way, if you've seen a busted lip, this was not a busted lip, this was something else. <clears throat> so, your faith cannot be used to just blast through the leadings of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Remember Paul, when he was, he was arrested as a prisoner, he was on the ship. And before they, they set sail, he said, hey, to the captain, uh, I perceive that this voyage will be with much harm and loss of life. And they did it anyway. So he, his leading was not to go. It wasn't, okay, I'll just pray that nothing happens. His leading was not to go. And then it got real severe. And he says, I told you, you shouldn't have set sail. But he says, it's a good thing the angel of the Lord appeared to me. There'll be no loss of life except the ship's going to be broken. Sure enough, it ran aground. They all had to jump ship and they swam to the island. What happened there? Why didn't Paul just use his faith to save the ship? Because faith has to work with the Holy Spirit. Faith in God has to work with the Holy Spirit. God did protect him, and because of his prayer, he actually saved all the heathen that were on the boat. So God can do some mighty things because of your faith and your prayer, but recognize his leading is also there to help you escape the danger in the first place. Remember when Agabus stood up and had the word from God, he saw the future, and he said, there's coming a great drought here in Judea. And so... They didn't say, let's pray that God will not let it drought. No, they said, let, let's prepare some relief and some goods to send to the brethren in Judea to help them through the drought. See, the answer was not just, let's override this, let's speak to the mountain, let's speak to the clouds. It was a way to say, God's led us here. He's told us something. Uh, let's go ahead and plan for it and prepare for it and send relief. So the Holy Spirit has a part in this. Praise the Lord. Okay. Everybody got it? If you follow Paul's ministry, he had great success in ministry because he was led by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit would say, first of all, Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit before they went out. You can't just call yourself. You got to wait for the Holy Spirit to call you and lead you and tell you and and, and, and timing is all, all that's important. And then the Holy Spirit would sometimes say, don't go here. Go there. Don't go here. And then the next, the next paragraph says, and then the Spirit said, go there. I mean, if you really want to get some success in your life, you're going to have to be close to the Holy Spirit. But how many people aren't? How many nominal Christians are there that 
that aren't sincere enough to walk with God and walk with the Spirit on a daily basis, they're going to miss all these leadings. And they're going to run into problems and they're going to have not so much success. And then they're going to say, well, God, how come all these years, God, you've never really even done anything for me. Maybe it's because you, you were missing all of his leadings. He, he was speaking, but you weren't listening. These are real reasons why bad things happen to people. Think of sinners don't know anything about anything. I mean, they're at the mercy of the world and they're at the mercy of the devil, Period. And then for them to look up and start blaming God, they've missed all of the success tips. They've missed all the principles, all the goodness of God. They don't know anything about his promises. How can they ever experience them? It's all flip of a coin for them. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. At least the rain does fall on the just and the unjust. They get a little bit of goodness some, somehow, but it's not because they believed God. So we, we cannot let people out there question God as if he's some unruly taskmaster. He's a good God. He's always good. He loves people. He's for you. He's never against you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Glory to God. Of course, there's other questions. Is what about testing? We've covered that a lot. Then there's exceptional cases. So if you live your life under these guidelines, five reasons for bad things. If you live your life under that premise, you'll have success. I would say there are some exception cases where God does have to do something to evil in the earth. Okay? But for you, if you're a sincere believer, you're never going to experience the exceptional cases. But everybody wants to know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody wants to know what happened to King Herod. Everybody wants to know what happened to Jezebel. There's several things in the Bible that cause people to say, well, wait a second, like try to put a big question mark over everything. You can't do that. There's answers for that. We're going to study them Wednesday night. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I'm closing the book. <clears throat> Glory to God. Is everybody happy now? How many of you are happier now than when you got here? I trust that all the hands that weren't up were just being lazy. Look, I, I'm pretty confident that everybody's happier here now because happy is the man that gets understanding. When you start to understand some things about God, it makes you happier. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.